This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Not many people visit North Sentinel Island, and by not many, we mean zero. Find out why on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we investigate topics, people, places, and events of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Surrounding the Bay of Bengal, you'll find India, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Thailand, and Malaysia. Almost smack dab in the middle are the Andaman Islands. Among the Andaman Islands are the Sentinel Islands. There's the North Sentinel Island and South Sentinel Island. South Sentinel Island is uninhabited. Sometimes diving excursions will use it as a resting point, but it's a very, very tiny island. No bigger than about 1.6 square kilometers. Just so small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Meanwhile, North Sentinel Island is a little bit bigger, 59.67 square kilometers. And unlike South Sentinel Island, it is inhabited. Boy, is it ever. (laughs) (laughs) But... North Sentinel Island has what some would call an untouched history, one that outsiders can only begin to speculate about. The island is home to the Sentinelese people, an indigenous group that lives in voluntary isolation from the modern world. And not the kind of isolation that might first come to mind for us, like the pandemic isolation, or if you're somebody who lives off the grid, no cell phone, no internet... You might be wondering, though, why are there protections in place for uncontacted tribes like the Sentinelese that live this way? Why don't we just force the issue and uh, really kind of go there and make ourselves known? This is the thing. They do know about us. And Time Magazine put it pretty well in a 2018 piece, I'll quote a Uh, section here. Contrary to some sensationalist reporting, these societies, uncontacted ones like the Sentinelese, are not lost, Neolithic, or in any way trapped in a land that time forgot. They are aware of the outside world, use and adapt outside goods for their own purposes, and may well engage sporadically with contacted tribes nearby. They choose to have no interaction with mainstream society, often because of the catastrophic violence and disease such as such contact has brought to their people in the past. It is their choice and their right. Which, I mean, we're going to get into all of this, Jess, but it's so fascinating to me because the Sentinelese, they they are choosing to not interact or pursue a relationship with the outside world. Mm-hmm. And that might come from a place of wanting to be protective of themselves and their people, but I think you and I are curious to a fault. Oh, for <laughs> we're, sure. We're those dumbasses where we'd be like, we gotta, we gotta find this. Who are these people yeah. coming to try to interact with us? We gotta go meet them and see what's up. Yeah, a hundred percent. To my detriment. Curious. Yes, <laughs> both of us. Um, but yeah, obviously they're trying to avoid maybe what they perceive as violence or a threat. And maybe they're even aware of the disease that an outsider could bring. Mm-hmm. And the disease is a big part of this because of the small number of uncontacted tribes and peoples that still exist in the world, mostly in the Amazon, they do not have the same modern immunities that we do. 
Even the most minor uncontrolled contact could subject them to pathogens and communicable diseases that they have no barrier to protect themselves with. So an entire people could get wiped out in the blink of an eye. Yeah, history has showed us this. Yes. Time and time again, yeah. And today in 2023, the Sentinelese people have never been influenced by the outside world. And we're going to investigate what exactly that means and the attempts that have been made to contact them in today's episode. So we know a little bit about them, but very, very limited. We know they live off the land, foraging, gathering, hunting. We know their language is unrecognizable to those who have been lucky enough or unlucky enough to hear it. And we know that they will defend themselves. For sure. Vessels approaching the island are ambushed repeatedly. Helicopters and boats are shot at with arrows, even if they try to get close to the island. Gosh, it's so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. So fascinating. The Indian government recognizes the Sentinelese desire to be left alone. And as a result, the island is a protected area of India. So if you try to mess with them, that's on you. Oh, <laughs> yes. Which yeah. it's known. Don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They don't want you to. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. But, you know, still people try and have tried to set foot on North Sentinel Island. No one has succeeded. Outsiders are repeatedly attacked or killed. Yeah, you will get effed up. And today, like we said, visiting the island is illegal. And for the few brave souls that have dared to try, their stories are harrowing. And spoiler, they often don't get to tell them themselves. And uh, you can probably guess why that is. And to understand more, let's take a minute to understand the Sentinelese. According to a 2011 census effort that could be anywhere between 15 to 500 Sentinelese tribal members, and we say effort because it was literally only an effort. No one has been able to collect proper census data on the tribe. Which makes total sense Mm -hmm. because you can't get the... It's not like you get an audience with them and say, hey, how many of you are there? Tell me about you. No, and we've all <laughs> no. been, I've like, you know, the census people have come to my door and they have the badge and they're knocking. They knock incessantly and they're like, hi, I have a lot of questions for you. Are They just, it's not a, that's not the best welcoming yeah. experience. So <laughs> no. uh, You're usually in a towel. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, you know, just got out of the shower. Yep. Come on. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so They sound really, really isolated, but they're not so far from other indigenous groups on the Bay of Bengal, such as the Anj and Jarawa, who also live in relative isolation. However, the North Sentinelese, while related to these groups, have been so isolated for so long that even these other indigenous groups don't understand the Sentinelese language. (sighs) Everything is just, I know everything we're saying is just. They, they, One they really thing. locked it down. They re- yes, it's it's just, ah, my curiosity is on a rampage right now. Mm-hmm. Based on one visit to the island in 1967, we know that the tribe live in lean-to huts with slanted roofs. They build small, narrow canoes, which they steer with long poles. Among their gear, you'll find spears, bows and arrows, and handcrafted knives. Their weapons and tools are tipped with iron, most likely scrap metal that's washed ashore. And as some unwelcome and unlucky visitors have witnessed, they are incredibly skilled with their weapons. They weave mesh blankets and use wooden adzes, which look like the backside of a hammer and are used to craft objects. A glimpse of their lifestyle is so rare that it was big news when a salvage crew witnessed bonfires on the beach and sounds of singing in the 1990s. Must have been such a uh, thing where like you don't want to get too close, but you're so curious. Yeah, 
their diet, we think, is mainly fish and crabs. They live on an island surrounded by water, so probably marine life. They live off the land as hunter-gatherers. And if the nearby Adamanese people are any indication, they probably also live on fruit and wild tubers, turtle and seagull eggs, and maybe some small game like pigs or birds. The Sentinelese are incredibly resilient people. In 2004, a tsunami caused a tectonic plate uplift, which lifted the islands exposing the coral reef. And researchers think that they retreated inward from the shore before the tsunami actually struck, which resulted in their survival, which like they they would have been able to predict like, okay, this is going to create this wave mm-hmm. or we have some way of knowing. But if there, since there's no way to communicate with them, there's really no way to be sure how they survived or how many were able to survive. Afterward, a helicopter hovered over the island to attempt any necessary rescues, but the Sentinelese were not pleased and emerged on shore to shoot arrows at it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I don't I think they've made they've made it very clear. And I it's very nice that that the helicopter we came and whatnot, yeah. but they're like, look guys, we we got it covered. We got it. <laughs> I love it. I love that it's like we're coming to help you. And they're like, get the fuck away from yeah, us. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're not interested. Yeah. Yeah. And they f- clearly feel and believe they do not need the outside world to survive and don't seem to. But it seems that some people refuse or don't want to believe that and they still try to infiltrate the island. Yeah. I know it's such a hard pill to swallow, but they've done it for this long and they're seem to be doing okay. They probably have their own yeah. stuff that's going on, and but you know. I think you know it also connects to like a really kind of outdated and racist colonial mentality which is if you're not living a certain type of way mm-hmm. what we deem to be civilized or advanced then you're living the wrong way. Uh-huh. And you need to be changed, which is obviously such a problematic way of thinking in a very like western problematic way of thinking. It really is. Yeah. One of the first outsiders to clock the island was actually a British surveyor, uh, John Ritchie, in the 1770s. He was aboard uh, the ship The Diligent on a hydrographic mission for the East India Company in the Bay of Bengal. And a hydro and a hydrographic mission is when you map bodies of water. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just funny to think of like, I don't know, because water is always moving. It's it's always changing. It's Seabed's always evolving. Yeah. So I feel like you map it how you can. And then a few decades later, you'll have to map it again. Mm-hmm. As the diligent passed by the island in 1771, they saw a multitude of lights on the shore. However, the ship had no reason to stop and inspect. So they just kept on going and reported their experiences, which is probably a good thing in retrospect. Yeah. The Sentinelese remained undisturbed for about a century until a ship called the Nineveh ran aground on their shores in 1867. 86 passengers and 20 crew members managed to escape the sinking ship by swimming ashore. Oh, no. Oh, no, I know. The shipwrecked crew stayed on the Sentinel Beach for about three days, but evidently the Sentinelese began to think that the stranded intruders had overstayed their welcome. I'm surprised they last three days. Same. That was my first thought. I was like, three days? I thought they would have been (laughs) gone. Um, But I mean, they're shooting down those choppers right away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're coming to help them. So Yeah. They, um, the Sentinelese attacked the the crew eventually, you know, uh, with bows and arrows and iron-tipped weapons, like we mentioned before. The Nineveh crew fought back with sticks and stones. The crew managed to stave off the attacks until a Royal Navy vessel arrived to rescue the survivors. 
Also, we really only know the Nineveh side of the story. Okay, we don't know. Maybe they got there and they started demanding things of the mm-hmm. the Sentinelese, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know. But you can only imagine the conversations that must have been happening in the Sentinel villages of like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, someone being like, I'm going to go out there and shoot them. And it's like, no, nah, give them a day. Yeah, yeah. Give them a, just give them one more day to go off the island. Like, yeah. come on. But you know, you know, they were watching them like a, like a hawk, but it's like, okay. But I, but maybe that was the, their angle again. I don't know. I'm just like thinking of like, okay, so they gave them three days as in like, okay, they look like they're stranded. They haven't messed with us yet. Let's give them. Yeah. Like you're saying some time, maybe they'll get rescued. Okay. They're not gone yet. All right, go now, please. Yeah. <laughs> But also, like, probably they're pretty curious, too, of what are they? What are these people? Mm-hmm. What do they have? Why are they dressed like that? Mm-hmm. But following this episode, the English Navy declared North Centennial Island a part of the British colonies. Bit of a one-sided relationship, though, since the Sentinelese did not know what England was or that they were a colonial <laughs> holding in general. <laughs> See, this is what we mean by, like, what you were saying earlier, like, well, you're not living, this is part of our land. It's like, what are you talking about? Who said yeah. that? What is? What are you and what is a country? What? Do, yeah. <laughs> just... I I have a, a someone who is, who is now my... F- a friend of mine, but when we first met, we, you know, we went out for a lunch and he thought it was a date, but oh. it, it didn't, but then I was like, I, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I was married <laughs> and, and I thought we were just friends hanging out for a lunch, but, but he, he thought it. that was that. That's interesting. And, you know, we can laugh about it now, but that's kind of, um, wow. I feel like I was this, I was the Sentinelese in this, yeah. this lunch I mean, situation. did they know that you were married? No, no, oh. absolutely not. No. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. And we were like, call, you know, professional colleagues and we went out for lunch. <laughs> and then later he's like, I thought I was asking you out for, a, you know, like kind of a date thing. And then we go out to eat and uh, you're talking about your husband and <laughs> how great he is. And, I'll, you know, and he's like, he's like, no, I, I'm, I mean, me, I was like, oh, just, you know, somebody wants to be my friend. But, oh, um, man. Yeah, but we are friends. OK, now. that's nice. But that's a that's so, a great story. Sen- the Sentinelese and the English are not. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Nope. But back to the topic at hand. In 1880, a young Royal Navy officer named Maurice Fidel Portman was put in charge of the Andaman and Nicobar colonies. He joined the Royal Indian Marine at the age of 16 and was a frail, strange man. Yeah. He was obsessed with the natives' men's bodies. Um, he cataloged their stature with like a notable focus on their genitals, obsessively measuring their penises. Very strange he needs man. To check himself, yeah. Yeah. He also took all kinds of erotic photographs of the Andamanese tribesmen. He would literally kidnap them and then force them to embrace in these sort of mock Greek homoerotic poses, then photograph them. And you can see some of these photos online and in the British Museum. Yeah, now I get it. Like, they're just like, guys, leave us alone. Making us do weird things. Um, Yeah. Portman tried to exploit the Sentinelese in the same way, but the kidnapping operation did not go as smoothly. In 1880, Portman landed on the North Sentinel Island with naval officers, convicts from a penal colony, and Andamanese trackers. When they arrived, all they found were hastily abandoned villages. The Sentinelese seemingly fled into hiding when they saw Portman's fleet. However, an elderly couple and four children were left behind. Portman immediately captured them. He took them to Port Blair, which was the colonial capital of the nearby South Andaman Island. Now, the kidnapped Sentinelese had not yet had contact with anyone from the outside world, 
which we mentioned earlier, is not good for your immune system. So they became very ill very quickly. The elderly couple died almost immediately, most likely from smallpox. Apparently, Portman realized that he made a big mistake, which is actually kind of surprising for a British colonizer in the late 1800s. He, uh, yeah. You know, um, that's what we call growth. There you go. Hey, better. Yeah. But he ordered the children to be brought back with a whole bunch of gifts. Probably one of those gifts was also more disease, mm. um, but we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Once the tribe got their children back, they slammed the door shut. Portman's interactions with the Sentinelese are acknowledged as a big reason the tribe remains unwelcoming to outsiders. We're going to learn about all the other times people tried to make contact with the Sentinelese and just woofed, biffed it. <laughs> yeah. After a word from our sponsors. It's summer and it is already so hot in Los Angeles. Can't stand it. It's super, super bright outside too. And when I'm outside, I want to be able to see what I'm doing, which is why I am so thankful for Sunnies from Shady Rays. Shady Rays has premium polarized shades at an affordable price. They're an independent sunglass company that offers sunglasses that are every bit as quality as any expensive pair I've worn, if not better. They're really durable, have super clear optics, which is perfect for the outdoors. And Shady Rays also has a wild protection plan. Unbelievable. Their sunglasses are backed by lost and broken replacements. So get this, if you lose or break a pair, even on day one, they will send you a new pair, no questions asked. If you lose a pair, plus every purchase supports the Shady Rays Impact Program, which works directly with nonprofits and their communities to make adventure accessible for all walks of life, which I love to see personally. Jessica and I are obsessed with these sunglasses. I can't even tell you how obsessed we are. We have so many pairs now and we keep getting the same pairs because I don't know, we're just on the same wavelength and they are so gorgeous. We both have the tangle-free Oakmont in stealth and they're tangle-free, which means if you put them on top of your head, they do not get tangled in your hair. It's so fantastic. And we both have the cypress glasses in sandstone and they're just so classy and different. I just love them so much. They look gorgeous. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code 30MM for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. So try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Thank you, Shady Rays. Back to the show, the next time that someone kind of made contact with the Sentinelese was in 1896 when an escaped convict tried to flee the Andaman penal colony on a makeshift raft, and the raft capsized and then the prisoner washed ashore on the island. A few days later, a colonial search party found the prisoner's remains. He was riddled with arrows and his throat was slashed. Totally freaked out, the British left the Sentinelese alone for the next century. (laughs) Fast forward to the 1960s when anthropologists got a quick glimpse into the isolated tribal village. Yes, anthropologist and regional head of India's Ministry of Tribal Affairs, Trilok Nath Pandit, embarked on his first trip to the island in 1967. 
Pandit tried to bribe the tribe. He offered them coconuts and knives and hammers. Didn't go well. As expected, maybe they responded with major get off my lawn vibes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Sentinelese hid in the jungle as soon as they saw Pandit's crew and then proceeded to shoot arrows at them. Again, can we really blame them? No, not at all. Like, I get it 100%. They've been living isolated for tens of thousands of years. And here are weirdos taking pictures of their penises, kidnapping (laughs) their people, getting them sick. They have... They had no reason to be friendly. It's just like, what? Yeah. We always do this. It's happened yeah. before many times. We just keep doing this. Yes. Keep trying to take and take. All, all the time. And and Panic kind of understood this a little bit. He left gifts of cloth and candy and plastic buckets for them. He even once left them a large pig as a gift, which the Sentinelese did not really appreciate because they immediately killed the pig and then buried it in the sand. Yeah, that seems like my first thought of just like, is like it go- sending a message? Yeah, sending a message or like kill it and bury it in the sand merely be- because it might be diseased. Yeah, yeah. They so, might be like, we don't want this. Yeah. We don't know what this is going to bring. You're going to get us sick. But Pandit continued to go back to the island for the next three decades. He would try to make contact by pulling a small boat up to the shoreline, dropping off coconuts and other gifts, and then getting the heck out of there before they could shoot him. The Sentinelese did not like the plastic but they liked the metal pots and coconuts. Okay, so that mm. kind of gave Pandit an in. Mm-hmm. Pandit and his crew started delivering coconuts by the back full, often with arrows pointed at them until they <laughs> left. And they did this for about 25 years with no direct contact. years. Yeah. Wow. Just, you know. Just like really, really. Very transac- transactional. <laughs> yeah, one way. In 1974, a National Geographic film crew once joined Pandit to the island, but unfortunately, the director caught an arrow in the thigh, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Pandit made his first successful contact with the tribe in 1991. So when Pandit came to drop off his unusual gifts, he was amazed to see that the Sentinelese approached him with no weapons. Instead, they had woven blankets and tools to cut open the coconuts. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> They're like expecting those coconuts. Yeah. Later that day, when Pandit came back, he saw two dozen people standing on the beach A man raised his arrow at Pandit, but to his surprise, a woman pushed the arrow down. The man then dropped the bow and buried it in the sand. This was thought to be a ritual to show that they were giving permission. And as soon as the weapon was buried, they rushed out to the boat and grabbed the coconuts by hand. Yeah, there's even a photo of Pandit handing a coconut to a Sentinelese man, which is by far the closest that anyone had ever been to a tribal member in over a century. But unfortunately, the hospitality was short-lived. The Sentinelese had a short fuse for visitors. The next time Panda went with gifts, they signaled it was time to go by drawing knives and making cutting gestures. Pandit told the Indian Express, if we tried to venture into their territory without respecting their wishes or got too close for comfort, they would turn their backs on us and sit down on their haunches as if to defecate. Mm. (laughs) Just like makes me think of in Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're like (laughs) blowing raspberries from the (laughs) the side of the castle, like just all out taunting them. And this was, of course, meant to be an insult. If we didn't pay heed and stop, they would shoot arrows as a last resort. Yeah, it was a uh, tenuous friendship between the Sentinelese and Pandit. 
Never got past the coconut deliveries. Mm-mm, no, but the tribe never offered gifts in return, never invited the crew to stay, and never communicated with language. Eventually, the Indian government suspended the visits in 1996. It was just dangerous. They weren't making progress after these 25 years. Mm-hmm. And then they just banned everyone and anyone from trying to make contact with the island. But as we've learned on this podcast, just because someone warned you that you shouldn't do something doesn't mean that you won't do it. <laughs> oh, oh, God, yeah. 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 The exiled King Leopold III tried to get close to the island in 1975, but was shot with arrows. Annoyingly, the former king thought the whole experience was quite fun. God, it's like such entitlement. I know. <laughs> In uh, 1981, a cargo ship named MV Primrose ran aground on the reef. After several days of being stranded, they noticed the Sentinelese carrying spears. They immediately radioed for weapons, which is weird because why wouldn't you radio and be like, come rescue us? Yeah. (laughs) Not like, bring us weapons. Uh, In 1981. Anyway, they didn't get any because it was particularly stormy at the time. This storm also prevented the Sentinelese from approaching the stranded crew. Eventually, the crew, weaponless, were rescued by the helicopter. In 2006, two Indian fishermen were illegally fishing near the island. Their boat drifted a little too close to the shore, and they were attacked and killed by the Sentinelese. Yeah, there was no prosecution for the deaths. In fact, no country has ever tried to prosecute the Sentinelese for killing intruders. Yeah, it is illegal to approach the island within a five-mile radius under Indian law. India has made it clear if you decide to bother the tribe, you're on your own, sister. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) This leads us to the controversial story of John Allen Chow, an American Christian missionary. In November 2018, and then 26-year-old Chow was killed when he took an illegal trip to the North Sentinel Island. Yeah, and here's what happened. Chow believed it was his calling to spread the evangelical Christian gospel. He was the youngest of three children born to Patrick Chow, a psychiatrist of Chinese-American origins, and Linda Adams Chow, an organizer for a Christian collegiate group called Chi Alpha. Chow revered explorers and missionaries who traveled to far reaches teaching God's word, which is part of what led him to the All Nations International. All Nations International is, I guess, part of this missionary Mm. organization. And they have a website that declares their mission as reaching the neglected globally, the least, the lost, and the last, which is the kind of a even shittier live, laugh, love. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The New York Times reported that all nations training for their new missionaries included a simulation wherein the trainees visit a mock native village, complete with hostile natives attacking missionaries with fake spears. Veteran missionary staff played the fake tribal members. Big yikes. There's a big yikes. Chow had just finished this quote-unquote boot camp when he decided the North Sentinelese needed to hear from him. Mm. So it's like, spoiler, they didn't. Mm -hmm. He had already done missionary trips to Mexico, Africa, and Iraqi Kurdistan, and he had actually gone to the Andaman Islands. But Chow was so drawn to North Sentinel Island, he wrote in his diary that the untouched island was, quote, Satan's last stronghold on Earth, end quote. The least, the lost, and the last, right, Elise? (laughs) Yeah, well, first of all, Satan's last stronghold on Earth is my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> so we should get in line. All right. <laughs> Visiting North Sentinel Island is prohibited without very specific government permissions. We can't express this enough. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. But Chow did not care because he had people to save. On November 15th, 2018, Chow attempted his first visit to the island. He paid local fishermen about 350 bucks to take him close to the island's shoreline. And the fishermen did it, but warned him not to get close to the island. Well, Chow didn't listen. He canoed himself and his waterproof Bible close to shore. But as predicted, the Sentinelese tried to attack him. He knew the legal risks, and he knew that he could very possibly die. He wrote in his diary, I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Don't retrieve my body. That did not stop him from approaching the island the next day. Chow rode towards shore, but this time he sang worship songs and spoke to the tribe in Kosa, which is a language spoken in Southern Africa. Instead of getting defensive, the Sentinelese people just laughed at him. (laughs) It's not funny because we know this story takes a dark turn, but like this dude was out of his element, should not have been doing this. Mm -hmm. Okay. He tried to give them fish and presents, but then a young boy shot an arrow into the Bible he was holding in front of his chest. So he left. Yeah, but not for long. God, uh, he went back again on November 17, 2018. And once again, the fisherman took him, but warned him. Chow told them to leave. Yeah, and here's where things took a very, very dark turn because the next time the fisherman saw Chow, his body was being dragged across the beach. Yeah, the fisherman came back the next day and saw Chow's body lying on the shore. They immediately went back to Port Blair and gave Chow's diary to one of his friends. They then notified Chow's family and the director general of police in the Andaman Islands. The director general simply issued a statement reminding people of the visitation restrictions. Chow's body was never recovered. The Guardian reported the, quote, risk of dangerous clash between investigators and the islanders was too great to justify any further attempts. They even opened up a murder case, but everyone knew that it didn't matter. I mean, he was not supposed to go there. This is very clear. And uh, to this day, his death remains quite controversial. That's interesting. Yeah, Chow was criticized by Survival International, which is a London-based human rights group, for possibly introducing pathogens to the native Sentinelese. They have never been exposed to disease and risk total annihilation if that occurred. Yeah, can't emphasize that enough. However, all nations, this that evangelical boot camp that had trained him and encouraged him, they hold Chow as this martyr. Okay, and persecution.com lists Chow as martyred on Sentinel Island, which is like, I think it's that's kind of dangerous because they're still pushing this agenda that that you should go to these places you're not supposed to. Right. Yeah. And there's a uh, pretty cringe painting on the Internet of a smiling Chow against the backdrop of the Sentinelese shoreline posed behind him are uh, clad Sentinelese with bows and arrows like that's. Just yeah. not... It's it's warped. Yeah. Pandit, the researcher who we talked about earlier that made that gift exchange after the 25 years of bringing them coconuts, mm-hmm. he said of Chow's death, I feel very sad for the death of this young man who came all the way from America, but he made a mistake. He had enough chances to save himself, but he persisted and paid with his life. 
Even Chow's parents resist the idea of their son as a martyr. His father spoke out, stating the American missionary community is responsible for the death of his son. There are and have been protections in place for isolated tribes in the Bay of Bengal for a long time. The Andaman and Nicobar regulation from 1956 is still in place to protect the Sentinelese and other native tribes of the archipelago. The Andaman and the Nicobar administration stated in 2005 that they have no intention to ever interfere with the lifestyle or habitat of the Sentinelese. They have said they will not pursue any further contact with the tribe or the island, nor will they pursue any legal action in Chow's death. Until today, still, the island remains independent and untouched by the modern world. Chow's death is a reminder of how important it is to continue to respect the lives and territories of native tribes. Like we said earlier in the episode, like there are tribes from the Amazon that have been completely wiped out due to interference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's sometimes not a, a place, especially like a, a Westerner's place, as we know from the horrors of colonization, yep. to be interfering. It's okay to leave things alone. It's we don't need to touch everything. <laughs> not everything's yours. And not everything is ours. <laughs> or up for grabs. Absolutely. Um but regarding Chow's martyr status, uh Pandant told the Indian Express that quote, that is the incorrect way to look at it. We are the aggressors here. We are the ones trying to enter their territory. We should respect their wish to be left alone. Obviously I feel like we've touched on colonialization enough here that we can say this is a, a case of still people with power trying to take or insert themselves in places they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's also a really interesting thing that I just think on a personal level, which is we are so in our own bubbles of what life should be and how life should be lived. And we live in the Western world where we also have this idea of like capitalism and a really, really fast paced lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of forget that there are other places and people and parts of the world And I'm not even talking about a tribe living on a remote island that's not made contact. I'm talking about just like somebody that like owns a farm in Ireland or somebody that runs a shoe shop in like, you know, the like, like Poland. Like, like there's just, there's people with different ways of life and different approaches to life Mm -hmm. that you just, we, I was talking with, with a friend about how they were, they were in Iceland and they were meeting with people there who they'd never left Mm -hmm. their home and. And they live a pretty like quiet and peaceful life. And we just forget about, we get so caught up in our own, Mm -hmm. you know, whirlwind, right? We do. And, and I think there are some good, well-intentioned people out there that are like, well, we want to help them. And like, there's, we have great medication nowadays that, you know, could help them thrive longer. And while their intentions may be good, they just, they, they just want to be left alone. They clearly don't want any of that because like we had said in the very beginning, they are very well aware of us. Um, and I, and, and that's just that we just need to mind our own business. We, we always are in everybody's business these days and telling each other how we should live our lives. And it's just like, if they are at peace, just leave them alone. (laughs) Yeah. And Simple. and the, the the words indigenous for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's their their place. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. On the, um, conversely, I do have lots of notes for you on how you live, Jess. Yeah, <laughs> things I think you couldn't change, improve on. What's the what's the what's the biggest thing you think? I think you should leave that rabbit in your backyard alone. You, that rabbit I that you keep should. trying. <laughs> I probably should, but it does like some of the bunny food I give it. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I shouldn't. I'm just kidding. You see, this is it. This is you bringing coconuts to the rabbit. I know, I know. But the rabbit and likes the coconuts. But it's so funny is though. Lash out on you someday. It's funny because in the beginning, rabbit. I call it bunny because it's like doesn't have a name, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, his name is Bunny. And there have been definitely times where in the very beginning could not get close to it. Then um, it, this took about like a couple weeks of me slowly inching closer, realizing like I'm not going to hurt it. And then finally, I've never touched it. I will never touch it unless it comes up to me basically asking to to get touched, but I won't. But I've gotten close enough to it where like if I wanted to put my hand out, I could. Um, but it and then it it eats in front of me now and just doesn't it's there's a trust there, but I will never um, go and grab it or anything because I know it's scared shitless, you know, so yeah, um, but it's cute. Do you think if we like looked through the rabbit's vision, it would see you as a giant rabbit now? Maybe it's a friend. Should I wear a rabbit mask out there? <gasps> Oh my gosh, if you dressed as a rabbit, that rabbit would costume. scare the shit out of it, I think. I've seen those <laughs> videos scared, online. Scared Devin. Yeah, just sees me in the background crawling <laughs> on all fours, just hopping around. What is that insane person out there? If he needed a, more of a reason to put me in a mental institution, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, next week we are talking about celebrity death hoaxes. It's going to be a good one. That's going to be a fun one mm-hmm. and yeah any other business for this episode jessica just you know check out our cute merch in the rooster teeth store store.roosterteeth.com mm-hmm. follow us on social media check out our friends at red web yep they're pretty cool they do a, yeah they do a conspiracy podcast that's really really fun and stay tuned for the pics of jess and her yard as <laughs> the giant rabbit <laughs> okay bad bye elise Bad bye, bunny. I mean, Jessica. (laughs) 